0: Hey, welcome to Conversations with my dear friend, Jeff Conway. My name is Susan. This is A Different Kind of Walk.
1: Hello, everybody. It is a cold day in Philadelphia. Uh don't feel bad for me. I'm going somewhere warm and sunny uh for the first time ever for Thanksgiving. So I'm looking forward to the beaches and being warm. Which made me think of the summer and some of the ministry events that I participated in. So but one summer I found myself in Turkey and I stayed in Solchuk and about two miles from Solchik is Ephesus and the old ruins there. And I had an incredible time. I um, made an appointment with an archaeologist who took me back to places where regular tourists aren't able to go. And uh, I just studied and I learned a lot and I filmed a lot. And one afternoon I was... Um, I had a stand, I had my camera there and four young people came up to me and they asked me if I was someone and <laughs> they thought maybe I was, uh, from a news crew or something. I don't know what they thought, but I said, no, I'm not someone. Um, I am a pastor and I'm just filming part of my sermon series here in Ephesus And that intrigued them a little bit, so they asked me questions because they didn't want to go on any kind of tour. So um, it was just wonderful. So I, I told them about some of that, and you know, they told me about their adventures, and basically they were drinking their way across Europe, and they were about to head into Central Asia, and I knew Central Asia well. And so I turned into a parent and a pastor. And the first thing I told them was take care of each other while you're there. And the second thing I told them was to always remember uh, that God loves them. And um, the reactions were interesting. Uh, There was one woman who looked like I called her the nastiest name you can absolutely think of. She had shock on her face. The other two women um, were polite Uh, and smiled and kind of timidly shook their head and the young man paused and leaned into me, looked at me straight in the face and said thank you. So I want you to remember as we come into Thanksgiving and the Christmas season and you have contact with a lot of people um, to remember that Tell them that they're loved by you, but to also remember to tell them that they're loved by God. Don't miss those opportunities, uh, even with people that might be surprised that you share that with them. And so as I was thinking about this and, and we're in the middle of the fundraising Drive. Thank you for leaning into us. Thank you for supporting us. You have done that so graciously, and I thank you for that. So, we have a matching gift of $2,500 that if that is reached on the other side, then our whole year budget will be done. Um, the year goes uh, to the end of the school year, into the summer. We have $900 left. And I just wanted to encourage you if you have not stopped by our website, a different kind of walk.com, you can donate on there and finish that off so that Susan can have a salary and we can continue to interview interesting people and particularly in the months coming up. I am looking forward to speaking to a number of. Folks um, in the area of spiritual direction, that hopefully will be helpful in drawing you deeper into understanding that love that God has for you. Um, Have a happy Thanksgiving. I'll talk to you soon. Bye bye. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another podcast of a different kind of walk. Uh, We have today a good friend that uh, sat on a bus with me and laughed with me and cried with me and smiled with me in Spain on the Camino. And uh, we continue to get together. We got together this weekend and we'll talk more about that. But Donna, I'm so thrilled that you are here. If you'll introduce yourself Uh, Tell everybody what a person from Guam is called (laughs) and just a little bit about your background in life.
2: Let's see, where do I want to start? So as you said, my name is Donna and I'm 46 years old. I'm originally from the island of Guam and my mother is an indigenous uh, person from Guam. So we are called a Chamorro. And if you are, if you just call Guam home, but you're not an indigenous person, you're called a Guamanian. And we're a very small US territory way out in the Pacific. And uh, it was great because I had the opportunity growing up to have a, a childhood in the islands and with a very deep culture of love for family, love for your church and your faith and your community. And then I would go back to the States because of my healthcare needs and live in North Carolina in the South where people are kind and loving and have the most beautiful manners. So it was, uh-huh. um, it was a great opportunity, I think, but I was born with a disability called spina bifida and, um, I was born in 1976. So at the time, my pa- my family had no idea that I would be born with a disability. And when the, um, When the Navy physician delivered me, he actually had to go down to the medical library and figure out what it was that I had and um, started me out in the world by telling my parents, your daughter has spina bifida. She will be a vegetable. She uh, will never walk. She will never talk. She will never be a contributing member of society. Commit this one to an institution and just walk away. And I was very blessed that my father Mm. said some not so nice words to the doctor and told him to get out, basically. And they took me to the States to have my first round of um, surgeries in spina bifida. The spinal cord, while the baby is in the womb, does not close all the way. And depending on where that opening is on the spine kind of gives you an indication that Uh, the problems that the baby's going to have. And I was very blessed truly in that my lesion was very low down my back. So I am paralyzed basically from the calves down. Um, Also, I don't uh, have any movement in my um, glutes and I have a lot of, of internal problems. So when a baby with spina bifida is born, they immediately have to go have their uh, back closed up and have the spine closed as as best as the neurosurgeon can and then I had a pump installed in the ventricles of my brain that drain spinal fluid off my brain that your body does naturally so my shunt is like my second heart and I can't live without it so those two things were done and that was done in San Francisco it was the closest um place for us to go okay. and then um it was a really wonderful story if you'll allow me because I know Susan can cut this part but um My father's family was from North Carolina and we were visiting when I was about 11 months old and I came down with a very bad uh, urinary tract infection. And so my uncle says to my mother, take that baby up to Duke university. It's the best hospital in the nation. So they take me up there. It's 1978 and um, back then all the children were in one ward and the doctors would do their rounds. And this orthopedic surgeon came by and he's peering into my um, crib and my feet are turned over and they're clubbed. And so he says to my parents, why has this baby's feet not been fixed? And my parents looked at him and they said, well, the doctors told us that she'd never walk. So we didn't want to put her through that kind of surgery for no reason. And the doctor looked at my father and said, that's ridiculous. Of course I can fix this baby's feet. And of course she'll walk. And so they did it and I was able to walk much later, but in any case, he fixed my legs. And from the very beginning, we just started proving that first surgeon very wrong.
1: Mm. Amen, hooray, Amen. and aren't yes. we glad. And you have remained at Duke since then because of the care that you got there.
2: Yes, but the thing is, again, it was a blessing because the doctors at Duke yes. knew about spina bifida. They understood how to treat babies with spina bifida. And um, it truly is a blessing from God because even now in 2022, there are very few clinics within the United States that treat adults with spina bifida. Doctors still consider this a pediatric disease. They assumed that we died and Mm. um, never made it to adulthood. So it is actually very hard to find adult spina bifida care. And Mm. I have been blessed to not have that problem. But every time I go outside the Duke healthcare system, It goes horribly wrong. And I have taught hard lessons about how there is not enough care for for just people with disabilities in general, but especially adults with spina bifida, because doctors are just not aware we're alive. I, at 46, am part of the first generation to survive to adulthood, which is a very big thing, but um, a generation is 20 years. So there's two generations behind me now. And I think that's sad still that medicine has not caught up to us. I'm very impatient.
1: Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know, my arms are the same from bicep to fingertip. They're skinny the whole way down. Mm-hmm. Yours are not. You are incredible. So you were not pushed on the Camino the whole way. You propelled yourself forward in a grit chair. Tell us something about what that grit chair was.
2: I have been a manual chair user since 2012 and to go on the Camino we were all told that you had to bring a manual chair but I was chosen to be an ambassador in 2019 for an all-terrain wheelchair called a grit chair and the difference is that with my regular everyday chair I propel it by wheels that are closer to my hips and um, it gives me better control of the wheelchair. However, it also has a lot of limitations when outdoors. My grit chair has push handles that I uh, push at about chest level and move up and down the handles. And it allows me to go over all kinds of terrain because of the propulsion system. And so I can do grass, I can do dirt, rocks, snow, ice, curbs, there's a lot that I can do with my everyday chair both Amy's that were on the trip with us, they both were in manual chairs and they were killing it. But with my chair, it's a little bit easier on my shoulders because uh, it's two big all-terrain wheels on each side of me. And then in the front is um, a smaller tire with a long bar that gives you uh, better traction, better ability to control the chair over rough terrain. But the best part is it was made by a bunch of kids at, well, a bunch of students at MIT who wanted to give oh. people in Africa the ability to move around when a, a simple regular manual chair could not get the job done. Right. And then the rest of us are now able to get out and enjoy our lives the way that we want to live them in the outdoors and um, go wow. places that our regular chairs couldn't take us. Yeah, it's, it's life changing for me. Yeah.
1: Susan, what are you thinking?
2: Oh,
0: I was just wondering, how expensive is that chair?
2: So it is expensive. Well, all chairs, let me be fair to everybody. All chairs are very expensive. My manual wheelchair for every day is was almost $6,000. The grid chair for the adults is, there's. they have different levels of them. So mine was around $3,000, but the wonderful thing is there are a lot of sports organizations for people with disabilities that will offer grants and scholarships that people can apply for if they can't afford um, a grid chair. Unfortunately, insurance won't pay for it because they consider it's it's something fun. It's something you don't need. But um, the great thing about the grid chairs compared to my manual chair is it is made from all bicycle parts. So if something goes wrong, Mm -hmm. then I just have to go to a bicycle store. Whereas with my manual chair, For instance, right now, the airlines messed up one of my brakes, and so I need to go to a specialized wheelchair store to Hmm. get it fixed or order the brakes myself and and do it myself. So it's two completely different um, opportunities, really. Yeah, One is very, very easy and makes life really, Hmm. really fun. And the other one I love very much because it gives me independence and I can do things on my own. And I've traveled the world in my wheelchair where walking at my age got painful. And slow and the wheelchair that I now spend every day. And I've I've done things that I would have never been able to do as a, a person walking with a disability. So they're both so, they're both my freedom.
1: Um list off some things that you've done. So you ski, you okay. have jumped out of a plane. Yes. Remembering that correctly? Yes. Um
2: I like heights a lot
1: yeah (laughs) and I'd say Mount Everest but I know I'm lying when I say you climbed Mount Everest I think but um
2: no but another one of my spina bifida friends he went to base camp at Everest wow So we're all out there doing uh really fun things but the the Camino for me if you'll allow me a little backup was a new challenge that I had to find for myself because prior to that um For two years, I had been a competitive bench presser and living in California, training to try and break a a U.S. bench press record for women and um, having this great adventure. And then I tore one of the tendons in my shoulder. And so since I am a manual wheelchair user, I had to stop doing the bench pressing. And I was still serving as an ambassador for Grit and Patrick and Justin popped into our Facebook group one day and started to talk about I'll push you. And the grit people reached out to me and they said, you have to apply for
1: this. (laughs) You
2: have to do this. Um, They said, this will be something that you you need to do, Donna. And because, again, I couldn't bench press anymore, but was still looking for an outlet to be strong and athletic and enjoy my world, I, I applied.
1: Did they understand the spiritual aspect of the Camino when they were
2: encouraging you? No, but they knew I needed a physical and a mental because I had lost that outlet completely. I was still of course, exercising and enjoying that, but it's a big difference when you're a competitive athlete and going to the gym is your job and uh, going to the gym because you want to be healthy and, and strong. So the Camino was going to give me a physical and mental outlet and I don't believe the great people understood the religious side of okay. it. But of course, all I had to do was do a little bit of research on Patrick and Justin and the Camino, because even as a Christian, I wasn't familiar with the Camino. And they were right. It was definitely something that I had to do.
1: Yeah. So share a little bit about your spiritual devotion with us.
2: I was born um, into a Catholic family. On my mother's side, my father's side are a mix of Methodist and Baptist, but mostly Baptist. But deeply religious, faith-filled families. And on Guam, religion is really the center of our communities for the most part. Um, growing up, Guam was a predominantly Catholic community and island, so we spend more than just a Sunday in church. Church is is central. And, um, because church and God was part of our daily life in the end, it was such a blessing to me as a person with a disability, because I have found that my faith has gotten me through the hardest times in my life as it pertains to my health. And it has made the good times even more joyous Mm -hmm. and, uh, I do believe as a Christian that the God that I believe in created me the way that I am as a person with a disability for a reason. I am not a mistake. And so to be able to have that faith in the good times and the bad times is a gift. Our faith makes this journey easier.
1: Yes. So it's great. We have this thing called ADA and you think, and you see all the dips in sidewalks and, but you think everything's okay and you can get everywhere. And I can't even get into my, uh, my main hospital where my neurologist is and where I have a lot of testing done and various things happen there because there's, uh, you know, it's Philadelphia. So it's, the frost heaves, the snows, the plows, the all the stuff mm-hmm. going on, that those dips on the sidewalks that go to the road, mm-hmm. carb cuts still an inch and a half lip there, and mm-hmm. the way my portable wheelchair is with its little wheels in front, mm-hmm. I can't get up on them. So the only way to get into my hospital is to go into the valet area. Mm-hmm. So I ride down the road, I cut Mm -hmm. into the ballet, and because it's underneath a covering, um, there is a smooth transition Mm -hmm. to get into the hospital. But then they have this ridiculous rotating door (laughs) because it keeps the heat out in the summer and the cold out in the winter. And it's big, so my chair can go in it, but I, I have to time it right. Right. To get in and right. follow at the right speed to get out. Because I asked once, can you open that handicap door for me to the right? And they said, no, it's locked. And
0: <laughs> then why have it?
1: For safety reasons, sadly. Mm-hmm. Um, not for safety reasons for handicapped people, but safety reasons for. Uh, The police and protecting in downtown and all that kind of stuff, which is crazy. So, um, you know, I'm learning this crazy life that's out there. You've experienced it your whole life. So I just wanted to share, let people know when you see all those dips, they don't, I mean, they don't even work in the community that I live in um and they've put these silly brick paver road bumps in places Mm -hmm. that are nice to keep the traffic down to 15 miles an hour because there are so many kids in our neighborhood but it doesn't work for a wheelchair Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the gap to get on yeah it's just it's interesting Um, it's
2: on and on yeah. yeah So,
1: I mean, any thoughts you have there in that area that you would want people to know?
2: So, in 1992, Congress passed a a disability rights law called the Americans with Disabilities Act, and it was to allow people with disabilities to not be left out of society, that they have the right to enjoy society, employment, education, housing the same that anybody who doesn't have a disability would and um, you don't have to be somebody in a wheelchair it could just be somebody who has low vision and um, needs to be able to read signs in a a public building easier. Mm -hmm. Um, It's going to an ATM machine if you are blind and having braille on the ATM so that they can get money like anybody else would. The point of the Americans with Disabilities Act was to make it a law that people with disabilities had the right, like anybody else, to enjoy society and to have the ability to live in society the way anybody else would. But it was very simple things like, no more just steps on the outside of a building. You put a ramp in. Everybody can enjoy a ramp. If Susan has a knee that's bothering her, mm-hmm. a ramp would be easier to walk up than to go up a bunch of steps. If some high school kid breaks her leg uh, playing soccer and is in a huge cast for three months, trying to get up steps in crutches is hard. Um, so you have a, a ramp. The UPS guy can appreciate a ramp. It's it's things like that that everybody benefits from. When you have a curb cut that allows people to cross the street, but it's nice and level, then a walker can choose to use the curb cut or they can step up. An older person doesn't have to step up um, onto a curb and keep their balance. If that's something that they're struggling with, they can use the curb cut. Accommodations for people with disabilities in many, many ways, can help people who don't have disabilities just to make life a little bit easier. I mean, a woman with a stroller uh, has a two-year-old on her hip and a baby in a stroller. Why should we expect her to pop that stroller up on a huge curb in the middle of a busy street? Why should we expect that of her? No, you let her use the curb cut and uh, make life easier. That's, That's all it does. But when you're talking about things in employment and education, Children in public school um, who have all different kinds of disabilities—you know—it could be everything from having um, autism to just getting nervous when they take tests. The Americans with Disabilities Act allows them or their parents to ask for an accommodation. A child who has trouble reading gets. Um, Extra time to do their homework, or that they get extra help from their teacher or an aide to learn how to read because they might be dyslexic. It's it's all kinds of very simple mm. things, but so few people know that it's out there, and so few people know that they can use it at any time. Mm. I mean, you don't have to be permanently disabled. Uh, again, if your child wrecks her knee playing soccer then she can ask for the accommodation to be late for class as she's hopping down and not get dinged for that, for something that is not her fault or that she can control completely beyond her control. Um, it, It just helps level the playing field with the law of the federal government behind you. The problem is that if I, as a disabled person, see a building that has not made accommodations for me, like a hospital that should be, especially in an emergency, easy to access for anybody, whether they're walking or they're using crutches or they're in a power wheelchair. They're required by law to make that facility accessible to you. But the problem is that it, the way the law is written, the onus is on you, Jeff, to have said to those people, no, you are incorrect. That door is meant for me because a power wheelchair has no business in a revolving door. Right. Because I have the right as a wheelchair user trying to get into a hospital to have access to my hospital. That is my right by law.
1: Okay. Yeah. See, I knew I'd learn stuff from you.
2: That's
0: interesting my church just started meeting in a in a a different building and it's the oldest building in our town it was built in 1711 I believe Mm -hmm. but I'm grateful that I know you guys because since I know you guys and since I've been having these sorts of conversations for so long my eyes see that this building is absolutely not accessible at all and like you said I appreciate that the law is there, that that law has been passed, but it also still kind of stinks that it's on you guys to advocate for yourselves. Um, There isn't anybody in our church who has a wheelchair, but since it's a super old building, it is, I'm sure it's grandfathered in, we don't need to change anything, Um, but as an able-bodied person, I feel like it is also my responsibility to have eyes to see that. And when we make changes, as long as we're allowed to make these changes, they need to be changes that work for everyone. Um, that work for you yeah. too.
2: Yes. The thing, though, um, let me be fair in that churches are not part of the are not required by law to be accessible. I can't speak to that very well, except to just say that they're not so. Um, I think that our places even though I of worship, would say
1: they should be the most accessible places yes. in the world.
2: Yes, and and that is that is it is that we um, as people of faith, whatever your religion is, your places of worship, your places of meditation, your places to be with the one, the higher power that you believe in, should be accessible to all. It should be welcoming to all people. And one of the things that, but I mean, even I still forget, you know, a a friend the other day mentioned that uh, at her church that the choir leader in the beginning and the church leader says, if you are able, please stand and that you know because we we stand in churches and so you don't think about the people who are in wheelchairs or it's just too hard for them to stand up if they have debilitating arthritis we but if you just say if you're able please stand you bring everybody into that congregation you bring everybody into that worship service and you're not just focusing on Yes, of course, everybody can stand because not everybody can stand, not everybody can kneel. So it just just to say, if you are able, please stand. I never even thought about that until my friend said something because, of course, I don't stand when in church the, the priest says stand. Um, it could be something just as simple as that, Susan. But, yes, I think that we need to be more cognizant in our places of worship that we, we're bringing everybody in that everybody feels welcome and equal, especially in our places of worship. But for me as a person who was born with my disability, what's hard for me to wrap my head around is as your congregation ages and they, have, they start to have different physical needs, why doesn't somebody think about that? Why don't we think about making a church service, a worship service accessible to all but especially the, the aging that's the part that my brain actually can't work out of how mm-hmm. come yeah how come everybody's not thought of in church
0: mm-hmm. yeah for me it's it's kind of just an issue of hospitality right mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. even if like you said and again i'm learning too um i didn't know that churches weren't a part of that law um but it's still it's still a hospitality issue yeah. Um, but as our Christian or faith-based hospitality, like we can see other people and see their needs and accommodate that.
2: Yes, I'd like to encourage people who are listening to this podcast who don't know, excuse me me personally or or you personally that imagine for just one whole day that you are in a wheelchair. Imagine it. Can you get into your home where you go to work. Can you access everything you need from the printer to your desk, to the front door? Um, If it's 4th of July, can you go to the barbecue at the community center and get inside? Or can you go to your favorite restaurant? Can you access your beauty salon? Just think about it for one day, spend a whole day looking at your world from the eyes of being in a wheelchair and question what you would and would not be able to do if you were in a wheelchair, because that's the thing about disability that we don't take into account is that you can become disabled at any moment. The thing about disability, it is the great equalizer. It knows no bias, it knows no prejudice. It can come for anybody at any time. Mm -hmm. And what would you miss out on? in your community if you did not have access to walk right
1: so i'm going to take a little swerve Mm -hmm. we had the great opportunity this weekend because we had three friends (laughs) do the marine corps marathon in washington dc so um 12 13 of us got together out of the 30 whatever that were on the camino which is Brilliant that that was able to happen, Uh, just to celebrate and then cheer on our friends along the marathon. So, my swerve, so I'm celebrating that and thanking God for that. Uh, And now I'm going to swerve back and say, So, Barrett, my son, ran with his good friend Dalton in the Philadelphia marathon probably a year, year and a half ago now. And so I was in my electric chair. We knew that it just didn't make sense to take apart my chair, drive to mile six, put it back together, drive to mile 12. So all that kind of stuff. But I was able to see Barrett at the starting line, Barrett and Dalton, and then see them at like mile six was only three blocks away. Mm -hmm. Um, And um i couldn't get up on the sidewalk in philadelphia because of frost heave and difference There was still the the dip that was there but i just my chair wouldn't do it so i just stayed in the middle of the road which was fine because most of the roads were closed for the marathon so i made it down that three blocks i saw him at mile six was able to cheer him on and um Everybody was there with me. That's kind of what everybody did. Then they jumped in cars and took off. And I said, I'll see you at the finish line. Mm -hmm. And so I started heading to the finish line, which I think was about five or six blocks away. Mm -hmm. And one block away from the finish line area, I hit a big enough bump that my chair fell apart. So the the front wheel and the back wheel sections are different. And, and they unhook so that Patty can pick it up and get it in the car. Yes, um, but I hit the bump big enough that it just kind of all exploded into pieces. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and I'm laying on the ground, and everybody's so focused on the race that they're just kind of like <laughs> walking by. Me. Oh my gosh! And oh no! And finally, somebody oh. said. Do you need help as I was laying on the ground and trying to figure out, you know, I don't have the strength to put this together at all. I I knew I couldn't do that, but I, was, I wasn't I was calling out to anybody. I was just kind of laying down next to this mess of an obvious broken wheelchair. So it was finally a gentleman comes up and, do you need help? And I'm like, um, yeah, that would be really nice. Thank you. Oh my God, so it's an interesting chair. He couldn't get it to work, but at least got it somewhat together, and I sat in it and um was able to text family saying, "Hey, the chair's broken, this is where I am mm-hmm. um so my last question to you, Donna, because we can't keep you forever is just um you know live you live in new york mm-hmm. um you escape new york to guam during the cold months mm-hmm. but the cold months happen in new york also so i mean the amount of money for cities to keep up just with their roads mm-hmm. so a chair doesn't explode going down the middle of the street mm-hmm. um I mean, what do you do to encourage that? I, I I know the laws are there, but I know the funding also. People are struggling to fund the schools. They're struggling to fund the roads regularly. Just all this is going on. So it's, mm-hmm. I don't want to complain, but I also want people to know it's more challenging than you think it
2: is. Right. Well, then I'm going to complain for you because, um, there are certain things where I just say, it is what it is, and I make do, and I, I learn to work around it. Um, but there are certain things where I say, I am allowed to be angry about this. I am allowed to, to voice my disappointment. And one of those things is I believe in, in roads and sidewalks and curb cuts. Um, looking at it from New York, when it snows, The snow plows push all the snow into the curb cuts.
0: Yes!
2: They need that here. I can't get out. And um, then I am beholden to strangers to help me get out uh, into the street and back onto another sidewalk if at all possible. And that is a failure in our government. Um, We need to expect that. Uh, you make the roads, you make the sidewalks safe because the thing about it again is if you push snow and ice into a curb cut, uh, somebody who's not, who does not identify as disabled may still need to use that curb cut because they don't have the balance to step down or it's icy. And if they can't walk out of that curb cut because of the snow and ice that has built up in it, then it is of no use to anybody. And um, so to me, this is again, where you say this is wrong. It's not even just not right. It is not acceptable. And um, there's a curb cut down the street here. I'm still in Washington DC. And I just came flying out of my chair because I went and there was a dip in the, some of the concrete had broken down. And so there was a hole that I just didn't see and my front wheels hit it and I went catapulting out of my wheelchair. That is unacceptable because I'm crossing the street and to come flying out of my wheelchair because the D.C. government didn't level that off um, is unacceptable. So that's where I'm going to allow myself to get angry and say that we as a society deserve to have safe streets. We deserve to have safe Sidewalks, no matter what the season is. But again, it is incumbent upon uh, any of us three in this conversation to have to call the, the local government and go, listen, you just plowed snow and ice into all the curb cuts. My 82 year old grandmother can't cross the street. My child in a wheelchair can't cross the street and I cannot pick up an electric wheelchair that weighs hundreds of pounds. My wheelchair only weighs seventeen pounds, but if I'm stuck in a snowbank, I'm stuck in a snowbank. It's really that simple. Yeah. But again, I'll just keep reiterating: it is incumbent upon us to to raise the objection because Jeff. Yes, we have to have a, a good attitude about a lot of things when it comes to our disability because I don't have time to sit around and be an angry cripple. I don't have time for that in my life. I do, however, deserve. A life that is as easy to access as somebody who is not disabled. And so I will complain if there are obstacles in my environment that it is the government's job to remove. Mm-hmm.
1: So poor Toma was pushing me around most of the marathon on Sunday and he almost threw me out of my chair a couple of times because, you know, he just thought he was going into a curb cut and didn't realize that the dip had dropped enough that he needed to pop a wheelie to get my front wheels up. Yeah. So when he pushed right into the curb cut, you know, I, I go flying forward and he catches mm-hmm. because he's pushing me, which is nice, but he has to, you know, quickly, catch me before I fall well, out of the chair because yeah
2: yeah seat belts in those things no but see that's the thing too is that so my sister Mona who's three years older than I am and went on the Camino she has dumped me out of my wheelchair on so many occasions I've I have lost count and some of it is not her fault because there's just some crack that doesn't look like it's going to be any problem to us um, but the problem is that I get so violently thrown out of the wheelchair that if I'm actually, if I have a seatbelt on, the wheelchair's going on top of me. So it's actually better that I go flying out of it <laughs> to be buckled in.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: The great the chair came with a seatbelt and I looked at it and I went, oh, no, and took a screwdriver to, to take it out.
1: So, Susan, any last thoughts at all?
0: Yeah. Um, So when I was growing up, I was bullied a lot. And what I took from that is I learned how to avoid being noticed. Mm -hmm. But as someone in a wheelchair, you guys don't really have the ability to not be noticed. Mm -hmm. And I assume that when you are in public, people check you out people stare at you or have questions about you or whatever. I don't know if they actually come up and talk to you or not, but um, I mean, I've been in stores and someone goes by in a wheelchair and people stare. I guess I'm curious how you deal with that and whether if, if it affects you, have you ever seen your body or your wheelchair as an enemy? It seems that currently you have a very positive view of yourself and your body, but has it always been that way or has it been more of a journey? I really started to
2: think about when did I become comfortable in my skin? Mm -hmm. And um, it's something that I do get asked. And I'm not exactly sure when that little girl decided that despite the fact that, you know, Children bullied her, that she was made fun of, that the little boys didn't want to be her boyfriend, that she couldn't do all the things that the girls did. She didn't look the way the girls did. At some point, that little girl decided that she was going to like who she was. And I, I, I don't know when that happened, Susan, but I'm at this point in my life now where it feels like I have been comfortable in my skin as a woman with a disability for a very long time now. People stare at me all the time. Uh, Children point all the time. And before I continue, I have to say this, I can only speak for myself as a person with a disability because my friends with disabilities, and I have lots of them, feel completely different from I am. And it it is a person by person um, answer and feeling, but it is hard when children point at me Mm -hmm. It is hard when children point at me and parents say, don't point, because it just, I understand that when you see somebody different from you, you look. Mm -hmm. It's just human nature. You're curious. But when you stare at a person and then you walk up and then you think that you have the right to say to that total stranger, what happened to you? why are you in a wheelchair? Or as somebody did to me, she motioned up and down to my whole body and said, what's the story with this? Mm. When you tell yourself that you have the right to know somebody's personal health issues because you are curious, then, then there is a problem because you would never walk up to a person, I would hope, and say, how many sex partners have you had? How do you feel about having, you know, a shoulder that is higher than Why, Why would you do that to somebody? You would. So if you would never walk up to somebody who's a stranger and say, how many sex partners have you had? You have to ask yourself, why do I think that I deserve to know why this woman doesn't look like me? Why mm-hmm. she doesn't move like me? Because the answer is you don't deserve it. However, because I love who I am as a person with spina bifida, I want to educate people, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: especially children, because I want them to be aware, to be kind, to be loving, Mm -hmm. to be supportive, because children are bullies. I I still, if you ask me, I think children are bullies because parents are bullies, but nobody wants to have that conversation. But Mm -hmm. I want you to look at me and see my wheelchair, Susan because it's me, it is a part of me, but I love my wheelchair. People who are not disabled use this term wheelchair bound because Mm -hmm. I understand to people who are not disabled, who use their legs, who cannot imagine a life without their legs. This looks like a prison, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: but my wheelchair is how I get from point A to point B. It allows me to live alone, travel alone, Carry my own things, push myself up a hill, things that when I was a walker would have been either impossible or extremely hard to do. My wheelchair is my freedom and I love it. There is nothing, there are no ropes wrapped around me. I can get out of my wheelchair. I mean, that's, if you'll allow me, that's how I go to bed. That's how I use the bathroom. That's how I get dressed. Mm-hmm. There is nothing about my wheelchair that is a prison, but people want to project that on me of why are you wheelchair bound? Well, I'm not. Mm-hmm. And so it is about being cognizant about the way that you speak to people, because you will find again, that I will answer you. If you ask me what's my disability, because I want to educate you, but you don't have the right to ask me. I love that a child will say, what's wrong with your legs? Cause they don't know how to say, why do you wear braces? Mm -hmm. You know, and and so I will most like I will mostly tell a child, but it is because I don't want them to be like the children who bullied me at the same time. um, And I know I'm kind of weaving around this in in a lot of different ways, but let me just wrap it up this way. God made me the way that I am. I will continue on this journey one way or another, how he sees fit. And I choose to have a good attitude Mm -hmm. about the life that I have. It is a choice. I don't hate monday mornings i don't because i'm alive and i'm grateful but susan i want you to see me in my wheelchair because it is part of me it is not my prison it is my legs and it is how i get around and i love my wheelchair i love it because had i not been in a wheelchair i would have never been able to go on the camino because i could have never walked that ever even in my healthiest times no way could i have been able to take on the camino And my wheelchair allowed me to have that experience so that I could meet Jeff, so that I could meet everybody else. So I want people to see that I have a great life, a life that I love and skin that I love to be in because it's the truth. It's the truth.
0: Thanks for joining us for A Different Kind of Walk. Until next time, live well.